0: hello and welcome to Mega City book club the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics i'm eamon clark and my guest for this episode uh, a first time guest it's a warm book club welcome to paul deadeye paul welcome to the book club
1: thank you very much and glad to be here
0: no no trouble at all. Now, you got in touch so that we could talk about uh, Alan Grant in particular, and we're going to get to one of his books in a moment. But before we do that, all the new guests get asked the same question. What was your 2000 AD origin story? How did you find the comic?
1: <laughs> well, um, that's an interesting story, really. Um, basically, I was getting bullied um, by a, a rival school because um, I was brought up Catholic. So like the rival schools were obviously... You know, Protestant and it was very sectarian in my neighbourhood so basically I was the only Catholic I have a whole Catholic family in a very Protestant neighbourhood and they were all anti-Catholic and stuff like that so they would actually chase me you know from my high from my primary school down into like the local news agents and basically I'd already been beaten up and stuff by three of them and um, I collapsed into like a whole you know bunch of comics and stuff like that, knocked them over the women from behind the counter came around and she saw I was bleeding and stuff like that. And she goes, go out the back door, son. Right? These, these guys will, have, will be none the wiser if you go out the back door. They'll be still standing there waiting for you to come out because they're definitely not coming in here. So she goes, here, take this. And when she gave me a comic, it was Prog 1 of 2008. And I never looked back since then.
0: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to discover Prog 1.
1: I know, I know, because basically when I knocked the comics down, obviously there was like, you know, DC comics, Marvel comics. I think there's some Marvel UK stuff there, although that might have been later, actually. But um, yeah, basically she she thrust Prog 1 into my hands.
0: And another Prog one on the book club, uh, all making me look bad. Um,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you Have you sort of stuck with it all the way through, or have you had
1: gaps, or...? For the most part, through the golden era of 2000s, yeah. from like the 70s on to the 80s and the early 90s, obviously by 97 I was going progressively more blind. Um, I was a head injury I'd sustained um, and basically I started to accelerate things in, in, in my ocular cavity that were you know, basically encroached upon my eyesight and luckily I managed to get it back, but I've only ever got it back in one eye. Um, my left eye is dead, hence the Dead eye. So, you know, that's, that's what I'm called from now on, because that's who I am now.
0: I see. Okay. And, I mean, you mentioned the early 90s. We may as well get straight to it, because we start yeah. in 1990 with today's book. Tell us what we're going to talk about as the focus of our discussions.
1: We are going to talk about Shambhala by Alan Grant and Arthur Branson. Excellent.
0: So Judge Anderson's side division, Shambhala, appeared in Prog 700 to seven eleven in 1990, as I've said. Uh, You've mm-hmm. mentioned, obviously, Alan Grant, Arthur Ranson, lettered by Steve Potter, editor Richard Burton. Yes. Uh, if you want to read along with us, there's a variety of ways. There is a rebellion trade in hardcover Uh, sorry, in hard copy and digital. Um, It's also in the Mega Collection Volume 10. It's in Sci-Files Volume 2. Uh, Mm. I've got a very early Fleetway 1991 softback trade collection in front of me. Um, Yeah. Presumably you read it at the time it was coming out, I'm guessing, Paul.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I was collecting to this avidly at that point. You know, I kind of like tailed off towards uh, Prog 1000. But obviously, like I said, I was going progressively more blind and there was certain things that basically I was looking at and, you know, things weren't gelling with me and I would skip a story or something like that. But just say something around about the time that really caught my attention, then I would I would read that or try and squint to read it. But then, you know, obviously looking at print, I was scanning pages into a computer to read them on the screen at that point so i could basically blow them up big because i was finding it really hard to actually read anything
0: right and with getting the vision back in one eye i mean is it uh, is it something that you're able to appreciate the art of this now
1: oh god yeah yeah definitely i mean i've always basically gelled towards black and white art rather than color because obviously with my ocular impairment and stuff like that um it would kind of like you know some days colors would be more muted than others and things but black and white art was black and white art i would gravitate towards like what i call artwork with dark iridescence to it like uh, brian talberts or brian Bolands or something like that but when arthur ranson started to do anderson i really sat and took notice and i, I recognized that he'd done various things i think it was looking or something that he used to do uh, work yeah, for. Yes, yeah. yeah and 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 that made me think of him and i think he did i think he did like um button man mm-hmm. yeah he did button man and it reminded me of the the tv show callan from my youth you oh, know i right, used to work yeah. with callan, Edward woodward and stuff like that and he had that very simple kind of animate you know antiquated style to it and my god you know um, I just like was in from the get go. As soon as Arthur Ranson started doing Anderson. Not to say anything bad about the other Anderson artists, because they were all good. But Arthur Ranson's art really, you know, got to me and it actually, you know, made me appreciate the whole run that Alan and Arthur Ranson did a of a lot more.
0: Okay. Well, before we start talking about the two creators and talking about Alan in particular. Um, mm-hmm. Just give us a quick synopsis for anybody who hasn't read this story or hasn't been back to it for a while. Just give us the outline of Anderson in Shambhala.
1: Um, basically, it's a, both a, a physical and metaphysical story of Anderson's journey from being you know, your prosaic um, megacity side judge through having a spiritual awakening through um, the mythical and, and metaphysical uh, domain of Shambhala which is in the Tibetan mountains and basically um, Alan uses his skills as a writer and Arthur uses his skills as an artist to beautifully illustrate the story and basically it's recommended reading that, that's that's the, the crux of you know what, what I would say would make that an, an a recommended read to any to any uh you know person that's never read it before
0: excellent stuff so we're going to reverse the normal order we're going to do artist first because we'll mention this was the first time in her own strip that judge anderson had appeared in color um, yeah because arthur ranson's artwork um is just spectacular i mean
1: what do you make of the
0: art on this
1: like always i mean you know Arthur had done, like, Button Man, and he'd done several other things in 2000 AD, but um, his work on Anderson, just the delicate way he he did her features, um, I think there's a... I think there's, like... I, I, I didn't know if he actually used the model herself, Integra uh, Fairbrook, but basically the two look very similar, both Ar- Arthur's uh, rendition of Anderson and the lady herself. So I didn't know if he used her, per se, as, like, an actual model, but the similarities are quite striking, and Anderson up until that point had like long flowing hair, and you know she she'd been quite Debbie Harry-ish in, in the Boland era, and like Brett Ewan's had drawn her a different way, and you know you'd had other artists doing their own interpretation. I mean Andersons actually went from being blonde to like redhead to like being I think at one point a brunette, but with Arthur's you know taking the thing, um taking Anderson. Basically, he made this very elfin-featured, very petite Anderson, and it gave her a sense of vulnerability that none of the other Andersons had up until that point, but also encapsulated the fact that although she had this kind of like very waif kind of look to her, she was very strong. And basically, that was a juxtaposition of the of the two, making her quite delicate in features, but my God, that was some of the best writing that Alan has done on Anderson's stories. And it showed the the strength of character of Anderson a lot more than some of the epics I've, I've shown her, like Necropolis and stuff like that, although obviously she's quite strong in that. But this was a more personal journey, a, a more insular kind of journey for Anderson, rather than basically being part of an overarching plot with dread.
0: And I was reading an essay by Mike Mulcher in the back of the uh, Mega Collection, and he was talking about how Arthur Ranson can move effortlessly through the sort of various uh, settings of the story. He can do the sort of um, like gritty street life of Mega City One. He can do a battle on top of a moving train and then he can do the sort of mystic Stuff that Alan Grant asks of him when they get to Shambhala and they have to, you know, Anderson's battles obviously become in the, you know, in the spirit.
1: Most definitely. Yeah. Yeah, most most definitely, Eamon. Yeah. I mean, Arthur's artwork is very filmic. I mean, he's had experience adapting, you know, both TV shows and, and I think he's done some movie work as well. But obviously when he did, you know, artwork for Looking and things like that, he was obviously adapting TV shows and having like a- actual, you know, um, representations of those actors' faces. So, they like, basically had a very filmic, you know, very, ve- very pictorially adapt, you know, a- a- adept uh, outlook on like how to capture a scene. So, like, basically, he could distill what would be a movie frame into like a comic book frame. And it just looks so good.
0: Yeah, it's astonishing. I mean, as you say, he's very filmic. Um, I remember some of his stuff for Button Man looked like he was almost doing the movie poster for it uh, yeah, in some of his pages. Mm-hmm. And then some of this stuff. The other thing that it, I put in our notes always makes me think that um, if I'd open some European, some French Band-Aid dessinée that, you know, I couldn't I couldn't read the dialogue but just look at the pictures, <laughs> it wouldn't surprise no. me to see this sort of artwork. He's got that very exactly. sort of European yeah. feel, yeah?
1: At times there is some kind of, like, uh, structure to some of his comic book frames that does remind me slightly of uh, the ankle that mobius did you yes. know
0: yeah it's very much like that isn't it It's very sort of mobius at times
1: yeah 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 but he's got his own distinct you know um i like to say 1960s kind of 1970s kind of style i mean if he basically did like an entire graphic novel on the original avengers with steed and emma peel you know, and I'm pretty sure he's done that at some point. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised because, you know, that would lend to it. His style would lend to that story very easily. But the guys of virtuoso; also, you can do practically anything.
0: It's stunning. It's it's spectacular, the artwork yeah. throughout this book. And, of course, also the other uh, Anderson stories in the Mega Collection, which we're not going to touch yeah, yeah. on today. But, yes, yeah, yeah, Shambhala, yeah. fantastic. Let's turn yeah. to um, our main subject, though. Let's turn to Alan Grant, um, mm-hmm. Interesting. I I found out he was born in Bristol in 1949, but I think most, <laughs> yeah. most associated with Dundee, where he yeah yeah, which is, of course is where he met John. I gather, um, John. Yeah, DC Thompson
1: Yeah, yes. I think they were both working for DC Thompson at the time. Yeah.
0: Um, if we mention some of his notable works, obviously those IPC girls comics that he came down and did with
1: John. You'd <laughs> think that's something who. It's someone who produces such metal stories as Judge Dredd and Strontium Dog and stuff like that would be doing Curl's comics. I always, it always gives me a tickle.
0: Yeah, absolutely astonishing. Um, obviously, as you said, Dredd, Anderson, Strontium Dog, Robo Hunter, Blackhawk.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, some of the best. You know, I mean, Ace Truck and Co as well. Yeah. Although that was more comedic, it was still really just the sea of imagination. It was just really good.
0: And, of course, uh, I don't know. I actually, I should have checked how to pronounce this. Is it Moniave where he lived, the convention that he started yeah,
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
0: And he also did a COVID community comic there as well during the that's pandemic. Right, yeah. Um Now, Alan had this fantastic reputation for being uh a great editor a great mentor to other people in the industry a great friend to a lot of people in the industry and of course um that includes yourself paul he was a friend and mentor to you as well i believe
1: yeah i mean i knew alan from 1991 or, or maybe just before that actually 1986 i think i first met him and that you know i was like a 17 year old kids so i was like kind of awestruck with the guy and i was quite nervous talking to him and stuff like that but he was really super friendly and then years later when i met him again in 1991 um i was in like a you know one of these costume contests kind of things where like people get dressed up and stuff it was called cosplay now but it wasn't called cosplay back then and um alan's like going, that's a really cool gun that you've made and we got talking again and he goes you not remember me from 1986 and he goes oh you're that guy i'm like yeah yeah and then he signed my gun then we got talking, and he says, "What else do you do?" I'm like going, "Well, I'm really into like doing my own comics and and writing and things like that." And he goes, "Oh, you're a comic book writer and an artist. Oh, you're on a slippery slope there. You know, there's not very many people can do both hats there." And I'm like going, "Well, you know, I'm trying my best here. So, like, you know, would you like to like read some of my stuff?" So he goes, "I tell you what. Okay, well, let me have a look at some of your work and things like that." And when he he did, he turned around and he said to me these words. He said, if I was still at 2,000 AD, Paul, you would have been hired on the spot. Not because you're the best artist or the best writer, but you're an ideas machine. And basically that's something that two thousand D have been doing for quite a while.
0: Fantastic.
1: And that just and that just made me drop my jaw on the floor because this is my hero saying these words to me. Yeah.
0: You know? Astonishing. And of course you stayed in touch with him, didn't you?
1: Yeah, for, let me see, between 1991, really 1994, I would say, uh, until 1997, I was involved with, like, several other people to try and produce the very first Judge Red fanzine. And, you know, things didn't go according to plan and, you know, people, you know, always fall off or fall out. And, you know, um, Class of 79 came along instead, and then basically that became a thing. And I kind of, like, just basically... Turn around, you know, kind of like hung my head low and said to Alan, you know, I tried. And he goes, yeah, I know you tried and stuff. And I told him, this is me going in for my first eye operation. Wash, you know, wish me luck. So he did. And, you know, basically it wasn't fully successful. And I had like a good deal of recovery time. But during that, I started to get really bad headaches. I was sleeping a lot basically depression set in because I knew I wasn't working like I thought it was going to work. And um, we moved house a couple of times as well. And Alan moved house from like Colchester to like one So we lost contact and I've always been trying to like get back in contact with him all these years. But I went blind another couple of times because I've had successive eye surgeries and things like that. And just the way life has worked out, we must reunite again. And it's always been the biggest regret of my life now that, you know, now that Alan's passed, I never get that reunion again. And the guy was like a second, the guy was, I hate to make this dramatic, you know, melodramatic or anything, but the guy in essence was like a second dad to me because he took more interest in me than what my own dad did and, or had done. And, um, My own father passed this year, and then as a double blow because Alan passed as well. So, like, I lost essentially two dads.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, you know, he sadly passed away in July this year. Incredibly sad for us all, a real loss.
1: The day day actually after my wedding anniversary as well. Right. So, right. Yeah. When the the wish broke the news to me, I'm, you know, I was shattered. I really was. I, I just couldn't believe it.
0: Yeah. And I mean, as we record, it's the day after we learned about the sad passing of Kevin O'Neill. To...
1: I know, I know. This year we've lost too many, mate. Honestly, this is, it's awful. And Brendan McCarthy, talking about people going blind, he's starting to lose his sight. Yes, he's given
0: mm-hmm. up. He's having to retire because of uh, health yeah. problems. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And Cam Kennedy, um, he, he lost his sight for a while as well. And, you know, he had to retire.
0: Uh, it's, yeah, grim times, I'm afraid. Um, No, I've heard this before about Alan Grant but he was a great correspondent he would reply
1: to letters, he would reply to emails
0: he would stay in touch, wouldn't he?
1: Yeah, basically between uh, the time I really got to know him Um, From 1991 through 1994 to 1997, we were always in correspondence all the time. And anybody that knows Alan, he would send you like a whole bunch of like, you know, publishers comics that he had from DC, you know. So he would always like put a few of those in the letter with him. So it was never just a letter. It was like an expansive letter. (laughs) I was like multiple pages and he would tell you all about, you know, his early life and stuff like that with his posing pouch at uh, Duncan O'Jorison Art College being a a model (laughs) and things like that, you know, he would would crack on with these tangential anecdotes and stuff like that and then basically give you a little bit of like comics as well, you know, whether it was Lobo or Shadow of the Bat or whatever he was writing at the time and he had like copies of, he would give them out to people, not just me, just everybody he corresponded with.
0: yeah fantastic person I, I only met him at a couple of signings but he lived up to his reputation by being delightful oh, yeah yeah. and you know he took an interest in whatever he was signing he would he was chatting to everybody um and of course after he passed so many comic professionals who said you know alan grant gave me my gave me my sort of my start my leg up my first bit of advice or whatever yeah. um Famously, of course, the story which we've told several times is that he pulled an Alan Moore future shock off the slush pile at 2000 AD <laughs> um, and, you know, I think was responsible for getting Alan Moore's first story in 2000 AD published.
1: So Yeah, you know yeah, that's it, you know. That's it. This is the kind of guy that we needed in command at 2000 AD. You know, I wish, obviously, at, at, you know, at his... You know advanced age alan couldn't have been in control of 2000 to this day sort of thing but you know that's the kind of editor we need you know that that's what would reinvigorate you know 2000 not to say that matt smith or anybody's doing a bad job really but just basically we need someone like alan back in in, and control of things and just basically doing what alan used to do back in the day Maybe it's too late, I don't know, but basically there should be a renaissance of like 2000D at some point, because I I hate to use the word get back to basics, but yeah, you know, that was the golden era when Alan was in in control basically, you know, at the command module. And um,
0: if we get back to Alan's writing for Judge Anderson, um, Mm -hmm. I mean, again, great at picking up characters that he didn't necessarily create, but uh know, really good at sort of building on these characters what was it about taking the judge anderson stories off that so you know appealed to him and that he was so good at
1: well i think it's you know both john and alan's got background in girls comics anyway and you know alan was always good at writing female characters it's one of his strong points and not a lot of like male writers can do that and when john created uh obviously Judge Anderson during the Judge death cycle and stuff like that, when Alan picked up Judge Anderson, he kind of made it his own in in a lot of ways. And, you know, basically from then on, everybody associated Alan Grant with Judge Anderson, but it's actually John's creation. Um, I would say that basically he kind of, like, distilled her vulnerability in ways that no other writer has done. And yeah, there was obviously a bit of that in John's work and things, but her vulnerability, basically she hits rock bottom several times and then she just punches the ground, and comes back again. It's the whole kind of like, you know, rocky kind of like, you know, revival kind of thing where he just finds his strength and comes back. But the way that Alan did it with Anderson was both poetic and very heartwarming sometimes as well, because that's what made everybody fall in love with Anderson, you know? And I think Alan's, like, a large part of that. Basically, his warmth of his own character basically infuses everything that he writes with Anderson.
0: Uh, yeah, and it's fantastic that they, you know, very definitely, she's not just like a female Judge Dredd. She's very no, different t- time.
1: I mean, you could say that Hershey is like a female Judge Dredd, but even then, Hershey's not as severe as Dredd is, yeah. you know. And that, that kind of shows when she becomes Chief Judge and they're always at loggerhead, loggerheads with each other. But, um... Anderson is meant to be the light to, like, Hershey's shadow, if you want to compare the two of them. They've always been done that way. That's the way that Brian Boland drew them, you know, making clear uh, distinction between Hershey being really severe and Anderson being more bubbly and sort of like, you know, more sunshine sort of thing, even though Anderson's obviously got a very dark side to her as well.
0: Yeah. And if we look at Shambhala, I mean, obviously we know that Alan was interested in sort of like... uh um 14 events
1: weird events oh yeah uh, mysticism Mm -hmm.
0: spiritualism psychic phenomena
1: well Um, anybody anybody that's been in alan's house either at colchester or or money uh basically you know would see that he had like egyptian princess heads beside his phone he would have like a exclusion zone for ghosts to walk up and down in the colchester church he, he was really into, like, the whole thing. I mean, when you looked at Alan's house, H- Alan's home, it was like, you know, you were at an Ozzy Osbourne's mansion. I mean, he always had that kind of rock and supernatural kind of edge to him. It was it was great. It was, like, really quirky and stuff like that. It was, it was awesome. So it didn't surprise me that he's into this sort of stuff and brought that out in the story.
0: And, of course, this is the perfect story for it, isn't it? You know, the Eastern mysticism. Is, yeah. The spiritual um, sort of battle that happens towards the end of this book to say you know exactly to save yeah. the world um, That's it. yeah you can see alan's interest in there and of course Definitely. it's just got this perfect partnership with uh, arthur ranson
1: yeah i mean it's just it's just a golden partnership i mean you know it's like putting john together with brian bolland you know it was arthur and alan and they made this their own in, in every way possible and it's such a good story and obviously other other um Anderson uh, stories with Arthur and and uh, Alan have just been as good, but Shambhal is a big, you know, the big standout of the series.
0: What is it about them working together that just
1: works so well? I think they both had the sensibility of, like, they knew exactly what the story was and what Anderson was, and they just had, like, the perfect fusion of writing and art. They They just basically both got it i mean i know how hard it is myself when i'm trying to like write something with someone else trying to illustrate it and sometimes there is a disconnect where like the the two people sometimes aren't on the same wavelength but when you get a special artist like arthur and you get a very special writer like alan when they get onto the same wavelength that's when you get a golden story you know as it's like pairing john wagner with brian boland you know it's that kind of like fusion or pat miles with kevin neal r.i.p you know i mean it's that perfect synergy where everything comes together you know it's a confluence of events and just basically you get the right person for the right job both writing and artwork and then you get a most fantastic story and it just draws you in
0: okay i mean let's ask you some difficult questions paul let's start with your favourite uh, Judge Anderson story by Alan Grant? Would it be this one?
1: Shambala's close, but I think um, Engram was the ah, one that. Okay. Yeah, the one that got me was Engram because um, she still, she's she's kind of grieving for a relationship with Cory because she's really close to like Cory and stuff like that, and basically when she loses her, um, Engram basically puts. Puts the wood on, on that whole that whole you know story, where where basically she loses one of her most important friends. Yeah,
0: you know that's David Roach, I think, isn't it? He's working with there. Uh, that
1: was David Roach, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and David's a phenomenal talent as well. Uh,
0: you know, probably, uh, uh, yeah, probably in the top three Anderson artists that you could think of.
1: You know, with Arthur Anderson definitely, yeah, yeah. Brian Boland's. Arthur Ranson and David Roach have been in the top three.
0: Okay, if we widen it out to all of Alan's substantial body of work, is there a single run or title that you think was his best over the years?
1: (laughs) Well, you've got to divide it between what's uh, Alan being serious or Alan being jokey. Obviously, if Alan's being jokey, then Lobo's one of... Lobo or or The Demon is, like, some of his best... Funny work, you know, it's always, you know, just the extremity of it, just the the in-jokes, just the absolute lunacy sometimes, that's Alan at his jokiest best, I think. Um, When it comes to, like, more serious fear, I think his work, even though it was a bit jokey as well in some places with Norm Brayfogle and Shadow of the Bat, I think Alan pulled out one of the best villains in the Bat canon up until that point, which is Ventriloquist. Yeah. And that's like a disturbing villain in his own right. And obviously, Alan did Anarchy later on as well. And, you know, he's he put in a few good rogues in the rogues gallery, you know, added to the, the Batman canon. And not many writers can actually do that. And Alan did. You know, He went seamlessly from 2000D into, like, Batman.
0: It's just a shame, in a way, that none of his Batman's rogues gallery uh, characters have yet made it, I think. Have they been in any of the TV series? I don't think they've made it to any
1: of the movies yet. Oh, they? They, they've been in the Batman animated series. Oh, right, of course. Yeah, yes. yeah. Um, in fact, I think I think whoever adapted the Ventriloquist story really did a good job of it. It was pr- pretty much out of the bat. Right you know when when the very first appearance of the evangelicals the original one not not the female one that that's there now i think it is Uh, yeah it's the original um is it arnold wesker uh
0: the yeah okay yeah it's not Albert wesker's
1: resident evil it's arnold wesker yeah arnold wesker okay
0: fantastic so uh that's some great choices from his body of work uh from his 2000 AD work, was it, is his Anderson stuff that you think stands out for you or one of the
1: others? Anderson's one of them, for sure. Um, I loved his work on Strontium Dog, but then, you know, Strontium Dog actually became one of my favourite characters, other than Dread. I mean, I'm a huge Dredd head. I've got the Judge Dredd movie suit and everything like that, but I also have a Strontium Dog outfit and strontium dog was always one of my favorites and i think basically because he had more humanity to him than dread i think that's what i deviate uh, you know basically gravitated more towards than their the dread stoicism strontium dog basically had more of a heart to it and when alan unfortunately killed him off i was devastated I'm like, going, why did you kill him off <laughs> why did you do that oh. it was, well it was this it was the end of his story arc you have to like see it from that point of view i'm like going right okay I, I get it now but i'm still devastated that you killed the strontium dog off so when john brought him back years and years later i was kind of heartened by that you know um but um his work on strontium dog just alan purely writing himself without john um that's that's a good that's a good story arc I'm going up until the final solution. And his work with Mid and Face Mcnulty as well, because Ireland's obviously Scottish, John's Scottish. I'm Scottish and you know, we like to have a little bit of representation every once in a while when mid and face Mcnulty was it <laughs> for quite a while yeah. in two thousand eight. Until the Cowhab judges came along and things like that. Um you know, obviously Jim Alexander's work on that along with Wall and Uh, John Ridgway and things Uh, mid-face McNulty was the only real Scotsman that was like kind of positively shown even though he was a caricature in 2000 AD so that was good I liked it
0: One of the all time great characters Middenface McNulty (laughs) (laughs)
1: Look if anybody basically played him in the movie I would love uh, the character actor Tommy Flanagan who's been in Braveheart Sons of Chubs. Yeah. yeah. He would make a great mid-face McNulty
0: fantastic dream casting Um, (laughs) yeah i'm sticking with the difficult questions because we're now going to turn back to the book itself and look at the individual pages Um, and do you first of all do you have anything of alan grant's in your collection at all do you have anything that he was he'd written or a page that he'd done
1: I've got a few of them, yeah. I mean, like I said, I've still got his um, stuff that he sent me and his correspondence and things like that, if that's what you mean, his DC work and things. Yeah. I've still got most of of his Lobo run. I've still got most of his Demon run. I mean, obviously, Alan isn't Forbidden Planet, so he couldn't always give me, like, you know, coherent issue-by-issue, you know, comics. But, like, you know, every once in a while, I would, like, basically get a whole run of stuff, and then I would try and, like, you know, Bounce into like deadhead comics in Edinburgh or Forbidden Planet to try and like, you know, get the, the the ones that I've been missing. But um yeah, most of the time Alan would give me almost a complete run of comics. Fantastic. And, and, and unbidden as well, he would just do it. You know, it wasn't like, oh, Alan, can you give me this next issue? Blah, 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 blah. You know, so yeah, he, he was really good at just basically giving out things, not just me, but everybody he corresponded to. And I nearly got an incomplete run. Of Lobo, Shadow of the Bat and the Demon. So um, yeah, that, that was special. That was really special. And obviously I've been collecting 20D, so I had most of Alan's, you know, work in 2000. anyway. I really liked his trucking co as well. That's another silly one that Alan did. Yeah. Under the, the name TB Grover, I think he wrote it as yeah, yeah so TB is. Grover. Yeah.
0: So Grail Page game. Now we often say this, but I think any single page from Shambhala Mm -hmm. would be a worthy addition to anybody's collection because they're all stunning. Um, So it's really a hard choice. There's a couple of covers to Prog's 703 and 708 to consider. There's that iconic image uh, of Anderson herself with her her green-gloved hands on her temples that I think was done for the cover of this Fleetway collection I've got from 91.
1: Right, right.
0: But you might obviously want to choose a page that's got some of Alan's writing on it. Which would? You, what page would you have from Shambhala?
1: Oh, that's a difficult one.
0: Tricky.
1: Yeah, that is really tricky. See, you can either go for like a long line of uh, text dialogue, you know, in a dialogue box. That's either Anderson's thoughts, or basically the antagonist, and towards the end it gets very minimalistic and I feel sometimes less is more so just the final denouement between Anderson and the main antagonist I think is like one of the strongest you know pages I think I think that basically you know puts puts a piece of definite stamp on things when Anderson faces off against the big bird
0: yes is that the page that
1: says a sacrifice on it yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. yeah, that that's the one that got me. That, that's the one that struck my core. You know,
0: right. uh, and it's a beautiful sort of. Again, it's that synergy between Alan and Arthur.
1: Yeah, um, and it's it's stark, but it's also very beautifully done. Yeah, you know, fantastic. So you
0: definitely get that one from the Grail Page Gallery. Uh, were there any others or any of the covers that gra- grabbed
1: your attention? Um, hmm. like I said, um. Obviously, you mentioned the one where she's got the, the gloves to her temples and stuff like that. That's obviously a good one. Um, was a
0: Gosh Comics. Uh, I think it was Gosh Comics. or may know it was Orbital Comics limited edition print for a while, and I have got one of those.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, trying to think. I mean, Arthur's done a few good covers.
0: Let's give you that iconic Anderson image, If you know, if we could afford the original art for that and find it. We'll give you that. Along right, with the okay. uh, the sacrifice page as well, yeah, fantastic. Can I just turn you to the uh, the page? I'm in hell, um, mm-hmm. which is, I suppose, it's a slightly obvious comic trope. It's where the psychic sort of sees within uh, one of the characters' minds and sees all the bad guys, basically but it's that page within Anderson's mind and every horror, every monstrosity she's ever seen comes bubbling and seething from the dark pits of my mind. And it's got the, you know, it's got death on there, the dark judges on there. Um,
1: it's, got, so it's actually, yeah, that's actually a really good one too. It yeah. looks
0: like, again, it looks like one of Arthur Anson's film posters almost. Uh, it does, it yeah. does. Yeah,
1: so that that's a really good one. I would take
0: yeah. that one. And I, again, as ever, I will post all these images on the socials so people can see what we've been talking about. Um, yeah. But it really is a book where you just flick to any page and think, oh yeah, I'd have that. I'd have that. I'd hang that. In. <laughs> I'd hang that one in a, in a museum. Um, you know. Yeah. It's astonishing how he could do this stuff. Uh, and as you say, did his apprenticeship on looking, doing TV. Uh, I know. Yeah,
1: I think he, was it Sapphire and Steel he did. I remember he did Sapphire and Steel definitely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a few of them um trying to remember the other ones i mean obviously this was very long ago so um my 53 year old brain is trying to remember stuff but sometimes it comes and sometimes it goes um but yeah i remember stuff still because i used to think joanna lumley was the most beautiful woman in the world and arthur always drew her as the most beautiful woman in the world so um
0: well she was the most beautiful woman in the world
1: <laughs> she was wasn't yeah, she? she i was, mean yeah. I, I, from the New Avengers to like Sapphire and Steel, Joanna Lumley was it? She was the, Eng- the quintessential English rose, and basically she made, she made the TV show, you know, have a little bit more sex appeal to it, even though she wasn't scantily clad. Like she was in the Avengers and st- uh, the New Avengers, but um, just just her pairing, you're talking about like a synergy of like perfect pairing, her and David McCallum and Sapphire and Steel, that was really good too. Yeah. So when you get some good casting in a TV show or a movie, you know, it just makes makes the grade.
0: So uh, Shambhala is, as I say, available from the 2000 AD store as its own uh, paperback and digital. Currently, the paperback's on half off at 7 uh 99 9 digitally. As I say, it's also in Sci-Files Volume 2. It's in the Judge Dredd Mega Collection Volume 10. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so it's widely available. And there's also, recently, there's been a 2000 AD Penguin um, audio adaptation of Shambhala and some other Arthur Ransom.
1: See, I didn't know about that one. Actually, who who narrates that one?
0: Uh, well, it's got a it's got a cast and a narrator. Um, an actress plays Am- uh, called Amber Rose Reaver plays Anderson.
1: Um, oh, I think I know huh
0: I'll send you the link to it. Uh, yeah, yeah,
1: that'd be wonderful.
0: Yeah, if you- and if you've got a uh, an Audible
1: subscription, you can get it on there. Uh, I'm going to get one. <laughs> now, now I know that song and um, I was listening to The Pit last night as well and it's weird hearing Joseph Fiennes do Dredd's voice. I wasn't too enamoured with that. It's a good story, it's a great story but um, I'm not too sure that Joseph Fiennes was the right guy to play Dread.
0: Well there's a different actor playing Dredd in the Shambhala um, one and I can't remember the actor's name offhand at the moment. I mean obviously Dredd's not huge part of this because it's mostly yeah. Anderson on her own. But yeah, there is a different actor playing Dread. So you'll have to have a listen to that. And again, I'll put the links to all this out when this episode comes out so people can uh have a go at that as well. They've also done I mean, Nem- Nemesis the Warlock, which I haven't listened to yet.
1: Oh, which 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 I mean, you've got to remember I've been out of like the comic scene for quite a while because of, like, you know, blindness and stuff like that. So this is me coming back to life essentially. Yeah you know this is me coming back so um you know i'm i've missed out and i at least about you know nearly t- 20 years of comics and things like that i've been trying to keep up but you know, it's been quite hard and most of the time i'm, I'm reading comics digitally now rather than you know paper ones although i still read the old paper ones from time to time all depends on, on the letter yes uh
0: because obviously with the digital version
1: you can blow it up can't you exactly yeah, yeah. which is important for you oh, yeah, yeah. i'm to yeah, I've got a tablet and sometimes I just you know, use my Xbox Series S to like blow up on the big screen on, on the 62-inch here and just look on the TV.
0: Fantastic stuff, Paul. Well, Shambhala is wonderful. Arthur Anson's art is just stunning, but also a great chance to talk about your friend uh, and mentor, the legend that was Alan Grant, who sadly passed away earlier
1: this year. Um, I'd like to talk about Arthur Anson also, though, because he did... When we were trying to do that Judge Red fanzine, um, he did an amazing piece of art with a viral pen. Just a viral pen, just a normal, normal viral pen. He did Judge Fear's blow-up of Judge Fear's eyes with people trapped inside of them. And I thought that was an amazing piece of work. And I've been trying to find it. And hopefully I didn't get caught in the house fire that we had. Because apart from blindness and stuff like that, I've been dogged with bad luck all my life. I think some of my uh, Irish Gypsy family on the dad's side has angered some, some, s- someone in the house, in, in the ancestral, um, you know, eons ago, and just basically, you know, put a curse on the family or something because I've been just been played with bad luck. Right. We had a really bad house fire and a lot of things got burned and I hope, hopefully, Arthur's one isn't one of them. I've been in this place six years now and I'm still unpacking boxes. Right.
0: I hope you find it. Uh, yeah, I hope
1: I do, because it is, it is a really great piece of artwork, and if Arthur ever wants it back, he can get it, you know, because um, I don't feel I deserve to hold on to it, because it's such a good piece of artwork, and everybody needs to see it, and it was meant to be shown in that Just Red fans, and me and my fellows were doing way back in the day, and I was nearly going to come out, and Alan was behind the thing as well, he was like really rooting for us to like, bring this out, and um sadly it didn't happen and class of 79 came out instead and you know good on them they they did the very first Judge red fanzine and i've got no better um you know words for that just well done you managed to do it you know because everybody needs the Judge red fanzine now you've got zar jazz and dog breath and sector '13 in ireland and stuff like that so you know that's flying the flag that that's basically going on from like where we first start to like actually make a stand and say we need a Judge red fan club we need a Judge red fanzine you know so like i'm glad there's more things out in the ether now and you know just basically doing like little stories set in dread's universe but, yeah. you know it's great
0: i bought a sketch off arthur anson from orbital comics that he'd done of the sisters of Death, and he'd done it in Byro and it was just astonishing
1: yeah. yeah i mean i mean the guy the guy's amazing i mean if he's using a drafting pen uh, uh a 0.1 rotoring pen or a, just your corner commoner garden biro, the guy is a virtuoso i mean it's amazing what he can do
0: fantastic paul it's guest projects time now you mentioned that you've done your own writing uh, yeah and you also do costumes and props and all sorts of things don't you
1: yeah, I mean, this this is what's been my kind of curse, is that basically I kinda like spread myself thin over various things because if one doesn't work out, I maybe got a bit of ADHD, I don't know, but like basically I will start another project if that one sort of like kinda of went in hiatus. So if I get some writer's block, I will go and make a model. If if the models go nowhere or I finish the model when I sell it, then basically I'll go back to the writing or then I'll do a little piece of artwork. These days with the way my site is I don't do that much artwork these days. It's hand-drawn, but I do, um, you know, photo manipulation art. So what I'll do is I'll get some of my figures that I make, I'll take photographs, and then I'll work them into a strip. So that way, I can basically create a comic strip while using, you know, the models that I make, the, the figurines. So I do custom action figures, um, basically make them out of old Marvel Legends or DC Direct. For example, just now, from my own personal collection, I've got a Doctor Manhattan, from uh, DC Direct, Doomsday Clock, the um, whole pack of like Dr. Manhattan and Ozymandias, and I've made Roll Trooper <laughs> from the Dr. Manhattan. Fantastic. Things like that. Yeah, and just now, um, someone's commissioned me to make a Judge Cow for him, and basically Judge is made from an old Marvel Legends bullseye, a Banshee head, and various odds and of from a Florida box. So I've got like bits of like uh, the Reaction Toys, Judge Anderson gloves and he's pointing up in the air and making like a very Hitler-like sort of like pronouncement with his hand. And it's basically Anderson's hands coming back to Anderson again, but they're on Judge Cow's body.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And is there anywhere that you can, that people can see these models that you make?
1: Well, I'm putting them up on Facebook just now on several interest groups like 1977 to 2000 AD, the Judge Ah, Dredd group and stuff like that. And they've been... Basically, popping up during October as well, because um, obviously, because I can't do hand drawing anymore. I've been, you know, sometimes doing photo manipulations using the models and things like that, turning Storm with the Mohawk from Marvel Comics into like Venus Blue Jeans and putting her up and stuff like that. You know, things like that. So I'm having fun with it.
0: And I know from my messages earlier today that you're also working. You're writing a comic at the moment. You're working on a comic. I am. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: Basically. This was originally a prose fiction series of short stories. They're called Grimm's Prairie Trails and it's about a cursed Apache warrior called Pale Moon. And um, basically his story is that no matter what he does, he's always gonna get cursed by something, right? When he's trying to remove the curse, he'll make it worse.
0: And is that gonna be available to buy at some point?
1: Yes, I'm working on it just now with several artists. Hopefully they'll do a great job, but it's been an uphill battle just trying to get an artist that will actually just collaborate with me and have the perfect fusion like Arthur and and uh, Alan. You know, I need someone like that who'll just like go on my wavelength, price for the job, because obviously I'm working on, on, on fumes just now. So my budget for the comic is £300. So if any... Accommodating artists can basically do it for like twenty to thirty pounds a page, then that's great. And then I'll fill in the rest.
0: Fantastic. And and will you I mean, will you be putting that up on Kickstarter or on a big cartel or something like that at some point?
1: I'm looking for Kickstarter for next February, which will be my birthday. I'm going to launch it on my birthday next year. So that'll be my birthday present, bringing the whole thing into fruition and into life as a comic book. So I've already got a mailing list of like clients that I do custom figures for. Basically, it's not just 2,000 DS anything that they want to do, like a a one-off commission. Basically, I've already got them on a mailing list, and that's like over 300 people. So I can direct market that comic book to them, and it's all my own work. Obviously, it's got a lot of influences from spaghetti westerns, because it is a horror western comic. So you're talking about something like a more visceral version of Jonah Hicks, you know, that, that kind of thing. So, um, I'm heavily influenced by Joe R. Lansdale, Spaghetti Westerns, Tombstone, you know, even the, the recent Kurt Russell Western Bone Tomahawk. Oh,
0: right, the, yeah, I know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, the main character, for for example, um, Pale Moon Grimm, he has a bone tomahawk-handled walker Colt that's made out of the gun arm of a fabled Wild West gunslinger. So, like Alan was saying, I'm, Back, back in the day, he said it was an ideas machine and basically had this idea of making a gun that's made out of a gunslinger's arm. Basically, the backstory is he wants more life. He doesn't want to die. So he challenges death to a duel. And basically, he manages to outdraw and beat death. So death says, OK, you can have like everlasting life if you want. But here's the thing cuts his arm off and turns his soul into the gun so that basically he exists now as an everlasting life as a, as a disembodied gun made out of his own gun arm. So um, the hero of the story, Pale Mean Grimm, has to quest for this weapon because it is a fabled gun throughout the story. And only Grimm is destined to actually pick this weapon up because Grimm, Pale Mean Grimm, is being cursed has been cursed with this uh, almost like zombie curse where if he doesn't eat his own body weight and raw meat every day, and it could be raw meat from anything, whether it's a buffalo, whether it's like a human, whatever, he will desiccate and crumble to dust. So he's kind of like this walking cadaverous guy between meals anyway. And there's DNA from like, you know, Carlos Esquerra's like Wild West um, depiction of the Saint of Killers, you know, oh, he's, he's very gaunt-looking. Um, there's also the fact that he's got these kind of, like, almost incandescent glowing eyes. So that's obviously a nod to Carlos's work and Alan's work on Strontium Dog. So he's got a very Styx Brothers kind of look to him with a wide-brimmed hat and a very pinched features and a Levi and Khalifa eyes. So I've got a lot of heavy 2000D influences in it. And I love Carlos. He's another guy that died. And he's such a wonderful person like Alan. And, you know... I, This is kind of like my love letter to both Alan and Carlos, you know. So I'm looking for an artist not to like ape Carlos's work, but to basically, you know, have like that kind of like reverence to like, you know, what's gone before and make it kind of old school looking kind of gritty and grimy and, you know, not clean, you know. I wanted to make it look like something that, you know, Sergio Leone or uh, Sergio Cabucci from back in the day did the Django films, something that's a really gritty, you know, down and Dirty Western. So, but that's what I'm making. That's what I'm writing. And hopefully it'll come to fruition next uh, February.
0: Fantastic. Well, next February, Paul, you must send me the link to the Kickstarter and I'll promote it on uh, the MCBC feed as well.
1: Thank you so much, Eamon. That'd be wonderful. Any publicity I can go. Yeah, absolutely. And do look out for Paul's
0: uh, personalised or customised um, action figures on the 1977 to 2000 AD group uh on Facebook
1: yep I'll, I'll be putting them all over Facebook so you won't be able to move without seeing at least one figure
0: <laughs> great stuff Paul it's been wonderful talking to you about uh Alan Grant and Shambala and Arthur Anson uh we've had our connection problems as usual but we've managed to get through it uh thank yeah. you so much for giving I, up your cannot- time
1: I can only apologise on my end, mate. That basically I'm I'm an old fossil and I've been trying to like desperately put together Zoom cogs and like tablets and stuff like that, and it's all been going wrong. So I'm glad we finally got it done on phone. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no where's the tool, Paul? Thank you again for your time.
1: Okay, thank you, Eamon.
0: And thank you to everyone for listening to Megacity Book Club. As ever, find all these links at megacitybookclub.com. Follow the podcast on Facebook, on Instagram, the 2000AD forums. We're still, for the moment, on Twitter. You can email me at mcbcpodcast at gmail.com if you've got a book of your own you'd like to talk about. Uh, And that'll do us, Paul. Until next time, when we're passing judgment on another great book, it's goodbye from me and...
1: Bye-bye from me. We'll <small> be <noise>